Hi guys, and welcome back to Unscalable. Before we start the show, I want to tell you a bit about today's episode. Now, this was one of the first podcast episodes I ever recorded with Martin, uh, way before I sold Sendable. It was recorded back in 2019. Now, not many people know this, but Martine was actually a school teacher in a previous life, um, and she joined me in the business a few years after it took off. In this episode, we talk about why I broke the no friends and family rule to let her in. I also talk about how we ensure that Sendable didn't become a family business, and how we worked together for just over eight years without ever biting each other's heads off. So if you're currently working with your partner or thinking about it, this episode is full of tips for how to make it work. And now that we're starting a new business together from the ground up, we're hoping to share that process with you too in future episodes. Enjoy the show. When I left South Africa, I was qualified as a teacher and I came to the UK and started working as a teacher and I, and I taught for six years and I really, really enjoyed it. Then Gavin launched Sendable and I helped him set it up from the beginning and get a very, very, very small space with two, two or three desks. I think there were probably three desks. Three desks. In a, in a one-person office. In a one-person office. Um, and um, I used to go whenever I could, really, to just help him. And on a Friday, I used to, school ended early, so then I used to go and help him set up white labels. At the time, I don't think I actually understood what a white label was, but I still, um, you know, every Friday I would go there and help set them up, and I worked a bit with affiliates and just kind of trying everything to get sendable off the ground. Um, so I never really thought this thing would actually take off. And I always had a rule that there could be no friends or family working at Sendable. So I guess it was quite strange that you actually joined the company. Do you remember what it was that actually led to you being more full time? It was a very exciting business. It was nothing I'd ever experienced before. As I said, I, I graduated and I taught for six years. So it was nothing I'd ever experienced. And then I, I was still teaching when I um, went on maternity leave with my first daughter. And during that year, unfortunately, I won't go too much into it, but she was very, very unwell and had two life-saving surgeries at Great Ormond Street Hospital at three months old. So we were backwards and forwards to the hospital. I don't know how much you know about London, but Great Ormond Street Hospital is in central London. So one day, kind of every few weeks, we were having to go, sometimes two days. Very often she was staying overnight. So at the time, I was inundated with appointments and just looking after my child and trying to manage normal normal life that there was no ways I could even consider going back to teaching. Teaching, despite what everybody says, is not a half-day job at all. It's all-encompassing. It is um, very, very full-on. And I thought, if I can't do it properly, I didn't really want to do it at all because it would just be detrimental to the children. So um, my priority was my child, getting her well, getting her back to normality, creating a life for her that she wasn't yet able to experience. So at the time, I just said to school, sorry, there's just no ways that I could even consider coming back from maternity leave. You know, I understand if you have to make alternative arrangements. So that was pretty much it. And then I kind of just had time on my hands. And slowly I started getting more involved in the company, different aspects of the company and working closer with Gavin. And it was it was quite amazing because I really feel like I've been there from the beginning, even though I wasn't like the first employee per se, I have been there from the absolute beginning, from the very first sign that went up on the door until now. Yeah, so I guess um, if we backtrack a little bit, um, obviously the the history is a bit blurry for me. I always look forward, don't always look back. 
But I think it was at a time when you first started was when we <clears throat> when we had quite a few white labels coming through. And white labels are a version of Sendable that we um, allow third parties to rebrand, mainly for agencies. And um, I was having to manually rebrand these websites for the agencies. And I found I was spending all my time doing that. That's what I was doing was just creating more and more of these white label sites. So I originally had a friend, I think it was uh, Russell, who uh, joined the company part-time to help out. But then um, Martine was doing white labels on the weekend and evenings. And when we went traveling, we'd be doing them in our spare time. So it was just a huge help having Martine on board, just doing those odds and ends that I didn't have time to do anymore. And obviously, when, when we started bringing on employees, I always had a rule that we would not be like a typical married couple at work. So we would keep ourselves separate and not make employees feel awkward. Do you remember how that felt at the beginning? Yeah, even now, actually, I kind of, everyone obviously in the company knows they, um, you know, we're very open, very authentic about our lives and everything. Um, and obviously, you know, we don't try and keep it a secret, but I, I kind of like to play, mess around with the new people and kind of see if they can figure it out. But definitely in the beginning, we, it was kind of a big surprise to people when they found out because. I've always represented myself by my maiden name just so that it didn't look like a family business, that it was, you know, a husband and wife team because it's not. I, I'm Gavin is sendable and I've just come in and kind of in the background. I think the maiden name thing using Martine Lazarus as your name was also because I wanted the company to seem bigger than it actually was. So in the beginning, I actually, I created this fake employee <laughs> called Lisa when it was just me. Um, and Lisa would be the one responding to sales inquiries, any support tickets that came in. She'd be the one on all the marketing emails. So I try to make it seem like a bigger company than it was. It's actually quite funny. Every now and then, we do get phone calls for this Lisa. And whoever answers the phone cannot understand who they're asking for. And I hear things like, no, but there's never been a Lisa here. Who, who, I have no idea you must have the wrong number. And Gavin and I just chuckle to ourselves because obviously we, we understand what they're talking about. But obviously we've got the people now that can answer whatever question the, the person needs answered. So, yeah, I guess I didn't think that people would take a small business seriously, which is why I created these these names and these fake employees and made you go by your maiden name. But I think over the years, I've learned that people embrace the smaller companies and the stories. And what makes us unique is our, our story and kind of how we're, we're immigrants from South Africa and uh, how we came from basically not knowing anyone in this country to creating this business from nothing. I think generally, if I can just interject a little bit, I don't think that Gavin ever in the beginning realized what Sendable could become. There were so many times that he would kind of make these rookie errors because he had no idea that people were actually using the tool or enjoying the tool or talking about the tool. And it's kind of even now, as big as Sendable is now, I have to kind of pinch him every now and then and say, just look at what you've done, look, you know, and look at what you've achieved. And that sort of makes him panic a little bit, but then he's able to reflect on it. So I think back in, back in those days, I mean, obviously now we know, you know, you don't make up employees, you don't send emails from fictitious people, but at the time he had no idea what Sendable was actually capable of and what it could become. So, so here's a chance for you to, to play to your ego. Um, how many mistakes do you think I would have made if you hadn't been there to help me along the way? Probably 10,000 a year, I think. One thing I want to say is the thing that helped 
from my perspective is because I came from the teaching background, I knew what needed to be in place. So I reached out to an HR consultant who we still use today, and she set up all the policies that we needed just to protect us because those are the types of things that Gavin wouldn't have really known about. But myself, I knew what needed to be in place for employees to keep them safe and to protect them and you know what policies we needed to have. Yeah, so I think I think where you really have saved me quite a few times is that obviously I come from a software developer background, being in the code and being able to make things happen by just writing some lines of code. And I think you have this ability to understand people and kind of help me through those issues. I don't necessarily have the ability to kind of read people the way you do possibly, and uh, maybe I'm I'm less sympathetic than you would have been. So I think just bouncing ideas off you as to how to approach certain situations and using your, your conflict resolution skills as a teacher has been quite helpful. But if you hadn't joined the company, would you think you would have still been teaching? It's hard to say. I think I probably would have been. I might have taken some time off. But now that um, our eldest is thankfully very well and uh, you know, a regular six-year-old, now that she's in school, we've got another one, another little girl, but she goes to nursery. So I feel like now that they're in school, you know, in school, I think maybe I would have gone back. But the one thing I noticed when I left teaching permanently, I used to phone my teacher friends and I used to say to them that it's like another side of the brain. It's something, it's so different. And the biggest change that I noticed in myself was that I just couldn't believe things like when you're teaching, you eat at 12 o'clock or you don't eat. You go to the loo at whatever time or you don't go. You, you, if you want coffee, it's, it's on the clock. So it was nice to kind of have that flexibility. And we used to have a good laugh about that because I used to look at my watch and say, oh, well, they're going to have lunch now for 10 minutes or, or they're missing out. So it was kind of nice to have that change. But I think I probably would have gone back to teaching, but I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy what I'm doing now. It's, as I say, it's a completely different side of the brain. It's completely different every day. No two days are like every day is different. It's it's great to be creative. I still I loved teaching, but I'm really really happy doing what I'm doing now. So, what would you say to other married couples? Are some of the tips or tactics that they can use to to work together with their spouse? I think the most important thing, and I think this is relevant whether you work with your partner or not, that you can't mix your personal life and your work life. They can't mix. So if you're having a bad day, you leave your, your emotions at the door and you, you know, you focus on what's important. And I think when you are with your spouse, it's even more important because there are some days where Gavin is just winding me up at home, but at work, it's a completely different version of him. Even if uh, he is driving me crazy at home, when I go into work, I really respect him as a CEO of the company, even though he's driving me crazy. So I think that you definitely cannot often mix. I drive you crazy at home, though. Pretty often. <laughs> that's another podcast. Uh, I think the other thing that's been really great having in the office is that I've had to play to this persona of being a CEO. Obviously, people see me as this other person that I don't see myself as. And uh, often you're there like playing it down, like um, showing the real side. Mocking you a bit. <laughs> mo mocking me, yeah. And um, that's how I really am behind the scenes. But when I'm in the office, I have to be this boss person yeah. and people see me as this person but I guess every now and then we show the real the real side of, of who I am yeah yeah I think that's been quite difficult for Gavin because he's a very very different person in the office to at home and our friends sort of can't picture him in the office and our colleagues can't picture him out of the office 
really. So um, that's why wherever I can, if I can mock him, I, I, I do just to kind of bring in a few laughs and just to ease, ease it up for him a little bit. So I think the other benefit for me, just having you part of the business and kind of understanding what we do in the way that you maybe do. But um, I guess being a solo founder is quite difficult. So most startups, you have, you know, have a co-founder, someone you could bounce ideas off. I've never really had a mentor, anyone that I could get support from. So being able to come home and bounce some ideas off you and get an objective perspective on things has been really helpful along the way. Yeah, I think also because I'm not a developer, I'm not, you know, an expert in marketing or anything like that, I don't profess to be. So I'm able to view things like the average person would, and I'm able to kind of see the bigger picture. So it is it is helpful. Even if I don't understand the code, I can, as Gavin said, he bounces ideas off me a lot. And I'm kind of just able to see the picture and um, compartmentalize what I think the issues are, or how I think we can go forward. Can you think of any mistakes I might have made if you hadn't given me that advice? So the one thing that I would definitely say is in the very, very early days, Gavin had given away shares of the company. That's another uh, another podcast altogether. At the time, Sendable was worth pretty much nothing. Maybe 200 pounds a Maybe month. Maybe 200 pounds a month, right? And he had to buy these people out and he didn't have the money for it. He, I was studying, I was specializing in inclusive education at the time. He was scraping by, we had just got married. He was just trying something, just seeing what would happen. And the thing is, he didn't know he was going to keep them on because he couldn't afford to buy them out. And I just said to him, enough already. I don't care if you get a loan from the bank or if we, I don't know, get the money from somewhere, just you get these people out. He was totally losing motivation. And I was just like, if you believe in this, if you actually think that this will be used one day, then just do whatever it takes to get them out. I don't care. I will, you know, start tutoring or whatever we need to do to get these people out so that we can, you know, see where Sendable goes. And thankfully, he listened to me. And as I've said in a previous podcast, I was right. And the rest is history, as they say. Um, yeah, I think I do owe it to you then because Thank you. I probably would have... Probably would have just chickened out of that whole thing and given up, but you pushed me to buy back the shares and keep the company going and somehow find the motivation to carry on. I, I guess it was difficult because I had quit my job. I just paid a lot, a lot of figures to get the shares back. Had it kind of had a certain amount of savings that I could live off for a few months to make this business work. But having Martin there to support me was, I guess, a big push to keep the company going. And uh, yeah, I guess that's that's one of the biggest things you've done, I guess, for the company uh, from the beginning. So what would you say are some of the pros and cons of a husband and a wife working together? Like, like maybe start with the pros. So I think definitely one of the pros is that I completely get Gavin. I completely understand him. Nobody else in the company would ever know how to read him like I can read him. He doesn't have to say anything and I know what he's thinking. I just think that that has helped because in the early days I was doing interviews, uh, first round interviews, and I knew straight away if the person would be a suitable staff member, you know, I was able to tell that straight away because the company was so small that it was really, really important that everybody would be able to gel and work together. And I think also we've just gone through the office revamp. I was able to make decisions without really checking everything with him because I know how he works. I know how he operates. I know what he sees as important and what he would see as, tri as trivial. I think also with Gavin being a CEO, I know what he has time for and I know what I mustn't bother him with. So I'm able to make decisions with other with other staff members 
kind of behind his back and just say, hey, just to let you know this has happened. I think also um, I've been able to to work with budgets and things like that that would be very, very confidential. So there's kind of because of that trust factor. So that's definitely, I would say, yeah. some of the pros. Yeah, I agree that the trust factor is a big deal. So I noticed when you were on maternity leave that certain tasks that you used to do, I had to do myself. And I found myself delegating that to other people. But it wasn't done the same way as you would have done it, having known me the way that you do. So I think definitely the trust factor and just knowing how I work without having to come to me for every little decision to be made, especially around things like HR and people and processes and budgets, uh, was a huge help and has been a huge help. I think some of the cons of a husband and wife working together is probably seeing that person every single day. So the way we've tried to counter that is just to not even speak to each other, really, at work. <laughs> or even go for lunch. We just ignore each other most of the time. Oh, God. <laughs> it's not as, as tragic as he makes it sound. No, what he, basically, if I can paraphrase this, we don't make a point of, you know, holding hands and walking and going to get lunch at all. Occasionally, I'll say, I'm going to get lunch. Do you want something? And if he's available, he'll come with me and we just have a bit of fresh air. But the reason I think that this relationship works so well is because I don't work closely with Gavin at all. There's certain things I get in my sauna board I know I need to do and I do it and I send it back to him. But I don't report to him every day. I don't have a meeting with him every day. What do you want me to do? Whatever. So I, I work with other people. I work with other teams. And I, do, I don't work that closely with him at all. And I think that that has helped. I think if we work too closely, it would be a bit um, familiar. It would, we would take home too much, I think. And also, the other thing is, I don't think it would be good for the rest of the company. If we were always together, I, think, I don't think that they would like that. I think they like the fact that I'm just like one of the team. I think the other benefit of having you in the company is kind of playing a role in the culture. So you've always known what kind of company I've wanted to build and you're able to kind of instill that culture in the company and celebrate the people that also live and breathe those values. So just knowing what those values are has been a huge help to push things forward uh, through the brand and through, through our people. And even just having you at Social Media Marketing World earlier this year, where you kind of understand the vision, the brand story, being able to articulate that, that's the mission and story to other people was, was really useful. Probably because I've been preaching about it so much that you kind of understand what I'm what I'm going for and what the vision of the company is. And just to, just to end off, I think the other thing is that people need to stop, as I said earlier, stop pretending to be a bigger company, but try to celebrate the story that you have and the story that makes your company unique. So I've always tried to run away from the fact that we're immigrants and um, we moved here with no family and not knowing anyone. But I think the fact that we've worked and stuck together and built this thing from nothing is a huge story that we can tell and share with others and obviously share our lessons which is kind of why we're doing this podcast so we can share some of the ups and downs we've experienced that you guys can learn from it so i hope you enjoyed that episode thanks for listening and if you guys want to get in touch with us at any time please email hello at unscalable.fm you can also subscribe to our newsletter at unscalable.me see you guys soon